Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by KL Skin Naturals. I've told you guys all about my love for their new whipped shampoo and creamy conditioner bars. My long, thick hair feels so soft and clean without the use of plastic waste from regular shampoo and conditioner. You can replace up to two to three bottles of your liquid shampoo with their hand whip shampoo bars. Leah has recently added some new scents that sound absolutely dreamy, like coconut paradise and sweet orange. Yummy! Head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your order. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Dahlia Dill. Dahlia grew up on both a dairy farm and a full-time farm where her parents raised grass-fed belted Galloway beef cattle, produced hay, and grew market gardens for cut flowers in Lee, New Hampshire. Dahlia and her husband, Mark, both attended the University of New Hampshire for agriculture studies and during and after held many jobs that contributed to their ability to launch their own farm business. Dahlia shares with us today the competitive process that they and their family underwent to obtain their now farm, Chandler Pond Farm, located in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom. They have made Chandler Pond Farm their own, where they're raising 100% grass-fed beef, naturally raised pick-your-own-strawberries-and-blueberries, pick-your-own-flowers, maple syrup, hay, and some vegetables. I am very excited to be sharing Dahlia's story with you guys here today. It is amazing what they had done in such a short amount of time and the heart and soul that went into the purchase of Chandler Pond Farms. It is a story that I say many times should be in a reality television show series. It's very cool and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get to today's episode, we're going to go over our review of the week. This week's review comes from Steph NM11 via Apple Podcasts in Canada. The five-star rating and review is titled Inspiring and Motivating. I came across this podcast last week after going through some really bad days and trying to find my purpose. I listened to a lot of podcasts already, but the episode with Kristen really inspired me and gave me the push to try some cut flowers for my farmer's market this upcoming year. It also brought a few tears to my eyes. Flowers really do hold so many memories and make people feel so good. They remind us of a special someone close to us and bring a smile to many. Thank you for sharing your great advice. All of the female farmers are so inspiring on this podcast. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much, Steph, for your kind rating and review over on Apple. And I encourage you, fellow listeners, if you are enjoying the show and would like to leave some kind words, leave them wherever you listen to the Rural Woman podcast and you can hear them on an upcoming episode. And stay tuned, my friends, for the end of this episode where I am going to share something really special that I'm going to start doing for my very favorite listeners of this very show. So without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Dahlia. Hi, Dahlia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Rural Woman Podcast. I am excited to get to know you better and to share your story. 
Well, I'm excited to be here and to share with them. And for the listeners, I just want to put this out here because Dahlia has saved my butt this week here on the Rural Woman Podcast. I had an interview fall through uh, for this week, which is okay and it happens, but I also was like, who the heck do I have in my back pocket who wants to talk to me on such short notice? And Dahlia, you came through. I uh, put out a post over on our Rural Woman Podcast Facebook group and Dahlia put her hand up and said, pick me. So here we are. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Yes. It looks like you had some other options. So hopefully you have some fallback for future episodes. <laughs> hey, I love sharing everyone's story. So anybody that wants to come on here is always more than welcome to reach out to me. But anyways, let's get down to business here. So give us your background of where you grew up and how you got your start in agriculture. Well, I grew up in Seacoast, New Hampshire area, so close to the Atlantic Ocean, and my parents have always farmed full-time ever since before I was born. So when I was born, my dad was the crops manager for a dairy farm that lived on, and my mom was starting her journey as a flower farmer. And then it kind of evolved as I grew up. We moved off of that dairy farm and focused on our own beef herd, which my dad had been doing in addition to working for the dairy farm for many years. So he actually bred and raised Angus beef cattle and Delta Galloway beef cattle, all registered animals at one point. So when we left the dairy farm, he kind of expanded on that, and that's what they're still doing today. So I came from a beef herd and relatively small compared to other parts of the country, but in our small rural town, we were one of the only farms that was really producing on a full-time basis. So that was what I grew up doing, and my husband actually grew up about five minutes down the road from me in the same town. And we never really knew each other until high school. And we kind of got together because we were two of the only kids from farms in our high school. So we got together and we were high school sweethearts and now we're married. So he has a similar background. His parents worked full-time jobs off the farm as well, but they also had a small business uh, making hay and raising some replacement heifers for dairy farms in the area. So he grew up doing all the same stuff that I was doing. Very cool. So farming brought you together in high school. That's very neat. Yeah. So for your parents, I'm just curious to know what year did your mom start doing her flower farming? Because I see flower farming now as such a trendy thing and there's so many people doing it. For me, it's interesting to hear that your mom started this however many years ago. Yeah, so she has been doing it for quite a few years now. And I I, I don't know if I could tell you the exact year, but it was probably around the early 2000s that she started working on it. And it started as like, her growing a small, you know, a garden in our backyard and she would do design with only those flowers. And she swore that she was never going to do weddings and events and that sort of thing. She just applied like, okay, for local stores and 
markets. And then as the years went on, she got really good at it and people were after her, (laughs) her work. So now she does, well, before COVID, mostly all of her business was for events and weddings and venues and that sort of thing. And she not only uses the flowers that she grows, which she still does a lot of, but she also uses flowers from other suppliers as her demand has outpaced what she can do on her own. She, she doesn't have any employees or anything. She does it all herself. So. That is very cool. Does she have social media so we can give her a shameless plug right now? Yeah, her Facebook account and uh, Instagram, I believe also is Pinewoods Yankee Farm. Perfect. So their farm is in a bunch of pine trees, Pinewoods Yankee Farm. Love it. Okay, I'm going to put her in the show notes and you're going to be the best daughter ever. (laughs) Shameless plug for everyone on here. (laughs) Yeah, she posts a lot of really pretty pictures of flowers and they usually make people happy. So check them out. Flowers make everybody happy. And especially in the year 2020, we all need a little bit of something to make us all a little bit happier. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. So Let's go back to the other part of your family farm then and the belted Galloway beef cattle. I was trying to rack my brain to think if I've had anybody on the podcast or I knew anybody personally that has raised this breed of cattle and I I don't think I have. So I want to know more about this breed of cattle. Tell us the characteristics and why your family chose this breed versus any other breed. Sure. So belted Galloways are also sometimes affectionately known as Oreo cookie cows. They look like giant fluffy Oreos. So their front end and their hind end is a dark color, usually black or a a tan brown color. Um, And then they have a big white belt around their center. So they look like like a double stuffed Oreo is what people call ours. (laughs) So their hair is a relatively shaggy. If they're not short-haired um, like I guess they can grow a pretty good coat in the winter. And they are a breed that originated in Scotland. So if you can imagine Scotland's highland weather, you know, back in the day as it is now is pretty rough. It can be wet and cold and there might not be a lot of feed available. They're just kind of, they're a hardy animal. So when my dad started raising them back in the, gosh, no, it must've been the early eighties, probably he had registered Angus and registered belted Galloways and did some crossbreeding um, with them at that point. And they're just, they're just vigorous in this climate. So we're in the Northeast. Our farm now is in Northern Vermont. So we are pretty close to the Canadian border and our weather is pretty rough sometimes. So it never gets super hot here in the summer, but it gets really cold and blustery in the winter and we have a lot of snow. So these, this breed of Celtic Galloways does really well in our climate. They're just really well fit for it. And we also, um, and my dad also raises, 100% grass-fed animals. So they do pretty well. They're pretty thrifty and they can put weight on only being on grass. 
you know, as long as it's good quality, they can beef up pretty good on a forage only diet as opposed to having to give them a lot of grain to gain that weight. So they're just a really well-fed animal for our area and our situation. And they're cute. People love watching them on the hill. I'm just going to say, like, they are the cutest. They do look like double stuffed Oreos. So. <laughs> yeah. That's always a bonus when you can have an animal that's well-suited for your area and they're not bad to look at. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So are they pretty similar in size to, let's say, an Angus uh, when they get up to slaughter weight or are they smaller or what's the average weight, would you say? They are a little bit smaller. And of course, it depends on the situation and the genetics and the breeding and the feed and all of that. But our animals typically top out probably a little bit under what a really mature Angus would. They're pretty short. So, you know, they're not, they're short and stocky. So they pack a lot of punch, but they're not like towering over you. So they're a, they're a smaller breed, but they're not a mini breed. So kind of an in-between area, I guess. Gotcha. They're the perfect size cow. (laughs) Yeah, we think so. Hey, y'all, we'll get right back to our episode after a word from our sponsor. Nestled in the tree-filled mountains by Kootenai Lake in Nelson, British Columbia, KL Skin Naturals was founded in 2013 by owner Leah. KL Skin Naturals is known for their award-winning natural deodorant that I have personally been using since early 2017. And I can tell you from personal experience, it passes the farming test. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good knowing that the deodorant that I'm using is free from harsh chemicals and scents. All of their products are produced by hand from the very first measure to the very last label. Each recipe was worked, researched, perfected, and tested on family and friends who all agree that there's something unique to be offered in the effective products that Leah is making. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com to choose from their wide selection of clean scented natural deodorants, plus other natural skincare products such as fresh aloe skin cream, foot butters, and more. And now back to our episode. So you and your husband, Mark, obviously you mentioned that you were high school sweethearts. After high school, tell us about how and what you guys did for your schooling after high school and how you got started down the path that you're on right now today. Sure. So Mark and I both attended the University of New Hampshire and went through the I program there. He, uh, when he was done, ended up working for the University of New Hampshire on their organic dairy farm. He managed the crop work there. So he did that for a few years. And after I graduated, I first was kind of continuing a position that I had had pre-graduation managing a large boarding lesson training facility, but horses. There was also local to us. And I stayed there for a while and then moved on to a large animal road tech position. So I worked for a veterinarian 
and was on the road with them daily doing farm calls primarily for large animals. So horses, cattle, sheep, goats, anything that you would find on a farm, basically. So that was what I did shortly after graduation. And then in the meantime, we, Mark and I, had started our own herd of bee cattle um, after we graduated. And kind of by coincidence, it was not on purpose, we ended up purchasing a small starter herd from a retiring couple that was also belted Galloway's. So when we decided that we wanted to start our own beef herd, we did not make a conscious decision to start with the belted Galloway breed like my parents had had, but it just worked out that way that that was what was available and it fit us well for our starting point. And so we ended up with this small starter herd of Belties from this retiring couple that wanted to get out of cows. So we, I think eight calves and five calves was what we started with um, when we were both still working full-time in New Hampshire. And we also had started up our own little hay operation. So all through high school, Mark and I had been like, we were pretty frugal with our money as far as leisurely things. We were kind of like stuffing it away for farm investments. <laughs> so Mark had started like purchasing his own paying equipment and I had made some investments in assets that I knew were going to hopefully someday come in handy when I owned my own farm. So we had this like little farming side gig going on while we were both working full-time for the organic dairy and for the veterinarian. And then we kind of had this, like it was brewing that we knew that someday we wanted to have our own farm, but we were at the time on my grandmother's property. Um, My grandmother had passed away and we were basically leasing the property from my parents. It was 11 acres and it was, you know, we had our eight calves and five calves on the 11 acres. It wasn't much. And we were paying other people's property that was also leased. So we had this little thing going on, but we knew that we wanted somewhere that was going to be our forever farm. But we thought that it might not be something that came to fruition until a lot of years down the road, but we were going to slowly get there. So that was the plan. I'm just going to stop you right here because I think you and Mark are like the ultimate power farming couple (laughs) to be stashing away this money to be investing in farm investments. Like when I was that age, I uh, would probably have enough money to put in my car for gas and <laughs> yeah so good for yeah. you guys for doing that that's amazing <laughs> well, thanks. it paid off <laughs> right and if there's any young people listening do what dahlia did and not what caitlin did so <laughs> yeah start buying your equipment now Don't exactly wait. <laughs> yes <laughs> so you and mark now own and operate Chandler Pond Farm with Mark's parents, Chuck and Lisa. So tell us about that journey and how that all came about and how you are now in Vermont on this beautiful farm. Sure. So when Mark and I were out of college, we were doing our little farming thing. Mark's parents were also doing their little farming thing. 
down the road, they also lived on leased property. And where we were living in Southern New Hampshire at the time is pretty limited as far as land base goes. So they always say that they're not making any more land. So Southern New Hampshire is definitely not making any more land and they are putting in a lot of houses. So we, Mark's parents and my parents both had lost acreage over the years, left and right to housing developments going in and land being bought up by developers and losing their hay fields and all of that. So we were in kind of a tight position where there wasn't a lot of land to be had and what land there was was just crazy expensive. You can't compete when developers want to build a house. So Mark's parents were kind of in a position where they they had also been slashing money for their entire lives, waiting for their perfect farm, hadn't found it, and had never made the jump to um, moving somewhere that they were going to be for the rest of forever that they owned and it was their forever farm. So we were kind of collectively looking at properties that would come available through all kinds of different places. But the Vermont Land Trust has a program called the Farmland Access Program. And they are really great about taking properties that are available that are farmland and that should stay in agricultural production and making sure that they match up with people who are going to be able to keep it that way. So they, the land trust job is to conserve properties. So when a property is put into conservation, it means that it will never be able to be developed. It will always be an agricultural production. So this property, for example, had been conserved by the previous owner and the land trust. Then when they decided, when the owner decided that they wanted to move on from owning this property, the land trust helped them start this process of finding another person who was going to farm it and who was not going to try to put more houses on it or develop it or whatever. It had to stay a farm. So we looked at all kinds of places all over everywhere and there was always something wrong. So like the house needed to be condemned or there wasn't enough acreage or the infrastructure was not going to be worth the investment or something was always not a good fit. So we found this property, Chandler Pond Farm, in Wheelock, Vermont, and we came to an open house that the land trust had advertised. Um, Chuck and Lisa and Mark all came and myself. And when we drove, we were driving down the road to get here and all of a sudden it just like opens up like the farm is up on a hill it's behind some trees and once you're past the trees it just opens up into this like a beautiful hill you can see the barn you can see all the rolling green grass like it's just very picturesque so as we were driving up it was like one of those feelings like oh my god like this is the place and it seems way too good to be true, and there's probably going to be something wrong with it, but we didn't really find anything wrong with it that we weren't willing to deal with. So we went on a tour. The land trust had 
tour and they had a proposal process in place. So they were showing this property to people from all over the country. And there were people interested in it from many different states. And they all wanted to do something a little bit different. So the requirement was to submit a business plan proposal for what you would do here and how you were going to make it work. And they wanted to make sure that the enterprises that you were after were going to fit the property and that you were going to be able to actually do it. They didn't want any tire kickers thinking that they were going to farm this 250 acres in Northern Vermont and like not understand. (laughs) So we took the tour. We like fell in love instantly. And it was one of those things that was like, okay, if we don't just make this jump now, this is never going to come up again. Like we're never going to get this opportunity. So it had a pretty steep price tag for being a 24 year old just married. Uh, it was, seemed like a little bit of an undertaking, but we went through the whole business plan process. We like stayed up all night for a month, Mark and I putting together numbers, crunching numbers, how we were going to actually make this work as 24 and 25 year olds. (laughs) So we did the proposal, submitted it, and then we didn't hear anything for like a couple months. So that was the most like tumultuous <laughs> time in our lives, like waiting to hear if we were going to be chosen from all of these people across the country that thought that they had the best idea for for working this farm. So the proposals were all vetted by like a panel of um, experts in agriculture. So they had lenders, they had people from university extension programs. They had the previous owner at the time, lots of eyes looking at all of these proposals and choosing one to be able to purchase the property. So it wasn't a situation where like you can just like a house is for sale and you walk in and just offer the owner a dollar amount and they accept it or they deny it. Like we couldn't just buy the place. We had to be chosen <laughs> to buy the place. So a couple months later, after like nightmares of not getting it and like, what are we going to do with our lives now <laughs> type of feeling, uh, we got the call that they had chosen us. So that then started a looking back, very quick process of us wrapping up our lives in New Hampshire, quitting our full-time jobs that were awesome, and like starting on this crazy farming journey as newlywed 24 and 25-year-olds and Mark's parents. So that was the start of it. And it was definitely like a super emotional time, for sure. And I feel like looking back on it, at the time, it felt like it just went on and on. But looking back, it, it all happened so fast. Like, they chose us in December, I think. And we in December of 2015, they told us that they wanted us to purchase the property. And then we were moving. Mark and I moved May 1st, 
of 2016. So within that five months, we like totally made the life shift to living here and buying the farm. This sounds like it could make the greatest reality television show ever. <laughs> well, it's all already happened. So. Right? I know. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, now, right? <laughs> but we could make this into a reality show, like, of the suspense of the months of waiting and making all of these business proposals. Oh gosh, like, yes. that, like, I'm stressed out for you. Like, that sounds like it was yeah, so it was stressful. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Well, and not only to be able to be stressed out enough to figure out if financially this is viable for anybody to do, but then on top of that, to have a rock solid business proposal that goes up against however many other people in order to have this, like this is insane. Yeah, it was like, it was one thing to just be chosen. Like it felt great that they had the confidence in us (laughs) to to want to choose us of all the options that they had. But then after we were chosen and after we were here, it was like we had a short lease period that we agreed on before we actually finalized the purchase of the property. So we were here for a couple months leasing before we secured our financing and, and finalized the purchase. And during that time, that was like the second most stressful time ever of my life. Right. <laughs> because we were already here we had already made the move here and we had like all this, like our entire future riding on us being able to actually secure the financing as 24 and 25 year olds <laughs> and complete this purchase and then actually make it work. Like right. that you've not only been chosen, but now you have to carry out your promises <laughs> to yourself. You're going to make it happen. But at that point it was kind of like, there's like, Failure is not an option. Like we need to do whatever we have to do to make this our reality because we've already promised it to ourselves. Yes, exactly. Well, you've promised it yourself and a panel of judges and the previous owner and all of the things. And the saying that's coming to my mind right now is it's time to put your money where your mouth is and to actually go forward and do all of the things. So yes, again, stressful. I'm I'm stress sweating for you right now. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. But we're still here. So good. I'm so glad. And before we get to what this infamous business plan was, I'm curious to know about the previous owners and what they did on this farm and kind of what the history of this farmland is. Do you know? Yeah. So this farm has been a farm for many, many years. But as far as we know, we are the first people to actually own and operate as a farm for decades. So previous to us, the most specific history that we have was kind of two generations previous to us. So there was a couple, their last name was Willie, and they dairy farmed here for many years. Conventional dairy operation in this big red barn freestyle, you know, just, uh, I don't know how many cows they had, but it couldn't have been over like 60, probably. They milked here for a long time. After they retired, they, they leased the farm. So when they retired from dairy farming, they gave up their lease and moved on into retirement. And at that point, the farm went through a few other 
farmers that leased the property. So there was a pig farmer here at one point that was doing free-range pigs all over the 250 acres, like <laughs> everywhere. And then after after he left, there was a family uh, by the name of Martin who was here for approximately 10 years before we bought the farm. So the Martins were primarily veggie farmers. So they did like every single type of vegetable that you could ever think of. They had a CSA. They they had a farm stand here. They had a little farm stand in town. They sold at a lot of farmers markets. Um, they grew about 12 acres of vegetables uh, by the road here. And they also did a variety of other things on a small scale. So they had some, they had a few milking cows that they were milking by hand. They had a couple beef animals. They had some pigs. They kind of did a little bit of everything. I think their goal was to be able to provide a little bit of an entire diet for their customers. They decided probably in about in 2015, they decided that they wanted to pursue some other goals that they had in life as a family. So they, the husband and wife had three homeschooled children and a cat and they bought a sailboat and they wanted to go sailing around the world. So they left this 250 acre farm um, where their kids had free range you know, of 250 acres and and they farmed full time and they packed up and went on a boat and sailed around like all, all around. So that's kind of what they've been doing since they left. And when they decided that they were leaving, the person that owned the property decided to put it up for sale. So that was when we came into the picture and we do something similar to what the Martins had offered that their customers really wanted us to continue doing, but we all are very different business than them. So we, we do some veggies, not by any means on the scale that they did, but our key thing are really our hundred percent grass fed beef. So the Galloway beef cattle, um, we make a lot of hay, not only for our own herd, but we also supply to lots of other farms, people with horses, all kinds of other, you know, customers in the area. We make maple syrup and we also raise, uh, pick your own strawberries and blueberries and some flowers and kind of a variety of seasonal things. So we're diverse. That is very cool. And I also think the Martins need their own reality television show on their sailboat uh, because that sounds very interesting to me as well. <laughs> they definitely do. Yeah, they they have a crazy life. Right? I want to know about a cat on a sailboat. I want to know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool that they had kind of sort of built this customer base that was around this farm. And it's interesting and it's kind of cool that the customers that they had were committed to this farm and they wanted to be your customers. And obviously you're doing things differently than they did. But again, like just kind of continuing this legacy. And I think it's so interesting. And obviously it's it's a little bit different than Canada and the U.S. with land trust and all of that kind of stuff. All of the rules are a little bit different. But I like that 
the owner of this farm was so committed to making sure that this land and this home and this property went to somebody who could make a profitable farm off of off of yeah. this land and not just take the easy way out and put a new subdivision on it because i know obviously the dollars and cents have to make sense to people but to have that kind of right piece to make sure that it stays that way and the legacy and the history behind it. I think that's very neat. Yes, definitely. We're really grateful that that was their their goal in owning this property. For sure. So tell us more about this business plan that you and Mark stayed up for, for a month on end trying to figure out what you wanted to do and what made you decide that direct marketing was the right business for you guys to get into? Well... We both, Mark and I, had both had some history in the dairy industry growing up. So we were both pretty aware of, you know, we thought that maybe we wanted to milk some cows someday, but we both really hated the thought of not having any control over our market when you're shipping milk commercially, for example. So as you probably know, and a lot of other people know that when you're shipping milk commercially as a dairy farmer, you don't determine your price and you're kind of at the mercy of, well, things are a little bit different in Canada and all of that. But in the U S here, it's a kind of a crapshoot. So you do all this work, produce your product, and then you basically have one buyer and that buyer tells you how much they're paying you. And right now, and for a few years now, that price that, those farmers are getting paid is less than how much it costs them to actually produce a product. So that just seems like a really bad deal to me, like all around. Our goal was to be able to market directly to our customers so that we could have a relationship with them. So we weren't just like a brand name on a shelf with no connection, you know, to what's behind it. We wanted to have that relationship with our customers, and we also wanted to have a little bit more control over what we were going to get paid, which is a huge deal. So, you know, in order to put all this effort into producing a really top quality product and all the time and investment and blood, sweat, and tears goes into that, you have to be able to recoup that plus you know, a little bit to live on. No one's getting rich farming, but like you have to be able to cover your costs. So that was our goal. And direct marketing was the best answer to that. The only thing that comes along with that is when you direct market to your customers, that's like a whole nother enterprise of your business. Like that's a whole nother full-time job besides producing the product you now have to find people to sell it to and convince them to buy it. (laughs) So it adds a whole other layer of complexity to like your whole business, but it gives you a little bit more freedom to, to do what you have to do to make things sustainable. So that's what we've been doing and it's been working out pretty well. That is, you've hit the nail on the head here saying the complexities of finding 
customers to buy your things is a whole nother job. Marketing itself for anything that you're doing, whether it's a podcast or whether you're selling veggies off of your farm, like it takes a whole different skill set, I think, to be able to do that. Like I know for me, I always think of the skills that I have versus the skills that my husband has. Like I always tell him he's the science behind the farm and I can be the face of the farm because yeah. it's just like, <laughs> and, and that's how you make it work, right? Like you have to have the things that you're good at and yeah. the roles that you have, right? So that's very interesting. Right. You have to be proficient in a lot of areas. <laughs> yes, exactly. You have to wear many hats as a farmer, not just the farmer hat. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. tell us, what do you think is the biggest takeaway of the competitive process that was of buying your farm? Ooh. I think that you really just have to decide that you're dedicated to doing it. And that's, that's the first step. You can't like waffle about whether you want to find a farm and start a farm business. You, you have to know. And if you feel like you're not really like, you don't have to know exactly how you're going to do it, but you have to know that you are going to do it. And there can't be any, doubt in your mind, you're going to make it work no matter what. So even in that time when we were waiting to hear back about whether or not we were going to be chosen as the people to purchase this farm, we were in, had thoughts rolling around in our head like, okay, if this doesn't work out, if we're not chosen, what's our next step? We keep looking for places. This isn't the end all be all. It would be great to be here, but there's obviously other options out there. We'll just keep looking. So you have to be dedicated to what you're trying to accomplish, I guess. And you can like hope and pray that that things are going to happen the way that you are hoping that they'll happen. You need to put the work in to make sure that they do happen the way that you want them to happen. But you just have to decide that you're going to like power through no matter what. <laughs> right. And that continues on after you have started farming. Yes. You still absolutely. have to power through. Well, I'm just thinking like you obviously had such a clear vision of what you imagined that could be on this farm. And like you said, this property itself couldn't be the end all and be all for you. I can only imagine that you and Mark and his parents would eventually find a place that you could have this business model or do what you're doing now because you had this clear vision and you just had to make the steps and get to the steps that got you to where you guys are today. So sure. If you've been listening to the Real Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins, and the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So tell us more about your farm stand and what you guys produce on the farm for sale and kind of how your business model looks today. So you are absolutely right. 
before when you said that the Martins had a customer base here that they had developed over the years that they were that they were farming here. There we have neighbors and people in the local community who were used to having this as a place where they could pick up locally produced food. We definitely didn't that was a great place for us to start to have those people expecting to maybe find something here. But we've really had to put the work into developing our customer base. So it's not the Martin's customers. They're our customers. Now they're coming for our products. They're looking for the things that we're specializing in making. And they're here for the experience of, of the farm as a whole. So we raise 100% grass-fed beef. We don't bring in any feed from outside. Everything that we feed our 80 cattle is produced here on the farm by us. That's one of our our main products, grass-fed beef. And then hay, which I mentioned before, for our own animals and for other people with farms, people with horses, goats, sheep, cows. We sell hay year-round. Our Probably next biggest thing is picking on berries. So we raise naturally raised strawberries and blueberries, and we do pick your own for both of those things, as well as having pre-picked in the farm stand seasonally. So that's a huge draw for us. People love to come and pick berries. Beautiful here. The views are amazing. Like there's nothing like eating warm strawberry off of the vine in the sunshine, like watching Oreo cookie cows graze on the hill. Like people just love it. So that's definitely one of our biggest draws um, in the summer is the berries. And this year we uh, made some changes to our farm stand offerings to include a lot of other local farms products. So up until this year, we had primarily sold mostly only things that we were producing here which is great. People love to know that everything that they see is from right here, but it was limiting us for options. So, you know, you can only get so diverse before you start like not doing a good job at certain things. So we are trying to narrow down our offerings and focus in on the things that we love to do that we can do really, really well and, and do those things really well. So the beef, the berries, the hay, And then leaving the other things to our neighbors that farm. Like we have so many amazing farms around here that have such a variety of products. It is crazy not to partner up with them and have those products in our stand. So this year, especially when a lot of people lost their market to COVID, some of our neighbors and our friends were like, you know, they have all this product and nowhere to sell it now or the places that they usually sell it are not open or whatever. So we ended up partnering up with a lot of uh, firms in the area and brought on their products to add to our farm stand. And it was like the best decision ever. Like people love the variety. They love, it's like a one-stop shop. Like you can stop in now and you can get your grass from us right here. You can pick strawberries out in the field, but then you can also get ice cream from our college friend with a dairy farm in New Hampshire. You can get eggs from our neighbor. You can 
you can get everything right here. So we had super fantastic variety this year, which we're definitely going to keep up with um, in years to come. And we also expanded on some other things like our pick your own flower CSA. I learned a few things from my mom in the flower world and we've been growing some cut flowers every year just for bouquets for people to grab and take home. But this year we figured that a lot of people were going to be home because of COVID and not traveling, not going on vacation, looking for something to do. So we set up a pick your own flower CSA where you paid the beginning of the season and you got to pick a bouquet every single week out of our beautiful flower gardens for eight weeks. That's about as long as the actual summer last year. So, uh, and people loved that. It was like, you know, you can be part of the farm. You're here, you're getting the, the in-person experience. You feel like you're a part of it. It's not like going to the grocery store and picking up your dinner and you don't really have any connection to it. You didn't, there's nothing else to it. Like the grocery store isn't that inspiring, but being on the farm, people really love that feeling of like, this is where it all started. And like, I'm a part of this, like I'm helping it, you know, progress. So we love that people come to us for that and to be part of, part of the whole cycle and the journey. That is so great what you guys are doing. And I like what you said about how you guys have created and found your own personal customer. The Martins had theirs and you guys have yours and just the experience that you're providing on your farm. I want to come shopping on your farm. That sounds amazing. I want to come pick my flower CSA, right? Yeah. But this farm has been here for a long time and it has a lot of history. So it it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Like we have people stop here during the summer that say, oh my gosh, my uncle was Dwayne Lilly and he milked cows here for years. And we used to come here when I was a kid for family reunions. And like stuff like that is just really fun because it is like people can still come here and experience being here. And that's okay. And like we we want them to be able to have that connection. We also have so the name Chandler Pond Farm is because we are on Chandler Pond, which is a real pond right here. It's about 70 acres and it's public access kind of through our field. So people have been able to go canoeing, kayaking, and fishing out there forever. And that's something that they're still able to do. And it's just like a great, you know, a great experience. And people love doing it with their kids because they came here when they were kids. And there's just, it means a lot to, to a lot of people and has a lot of history and, and emotion tied to it. So trying to keep that open to everybody and make it somewhere where they want to bring their kids back to in 20 years. Yeah, for sure. And you guys get to be a part of that and you get to be a part of this bigger legacy that is more than just you and Mark and his parents. It's like you said, it's part of people's families and people that have been in that area have memories long before you guys were there. And to keep that in their families and your family will be a very cherished thing from from now on for you guys. That's very cool. What are your future plans for Chandler Pond Farm? So many plans. <laughs> <laughs> we are, 
So we've been here for five years now. We, Mark and I moved in 2016. His parents followed us a year later in 2017. So we've had five seasons here now and the change year to year has just been like crazy for us. And we're, we started out knowing that we wanted to really do this within our means. Like we, we didn't want to get into a ton of debt, you know, other than the mortgage. We came with all of our own equipment since we had been, you know, buying equipment since we were teenagers. Um, we came with our own cows. Like we, we already had the things that we needed to start and we wanted to, to start in a way that was manageable. So we don't have any employees. It's only Mark, myself and Mark's parents on a day-to-day basis. I also work full-time marketing for a local feed company. Blessed to be able to work from home mostly now, which is super helpful, but I I do have another full-time job in addition to the full-time job of running the farm. So we've been like really, we've been really careful with slow growth. Like we didn't want to jump in and get 20 employees and get in a bunch of debt and like get in over our heads too quickly. We've been making progress like so slowly, it seems like, but things that are within our means. So we've been doing pretty good with that for the last couple of years, but now we're really recognizing that when we started, we were so diversified that it was like painful. Like we were, we were pulling ourselves so thin in a million different directions, trying to do like all of these different enterprises so that we could offer all of these different products for people. And what happens when you do that is you kind of do everything okay, but nothing great. So you burn yourself out really quick. So now five years in, we have a handful of things that we know are like our core products. We love producing them and our customers love being able to get them here. And we know that those are the things we want to focus on. So we're kind of trying to cut out the minutia of the little things that we were doing that weren't really benefiting us that much. Um, They were just giving us something else to do. And we're focusing in on the few things that we want to be able to do really well. So beef, we came here with, uh, I think, like 15 cows when we first moved here. We have 80 now. So we, in last year or so, have really been able to plan on ramping up our production for that. And it takes quite a while. Of course, you can't just grow beef overnight, it takes a couple of years before you can actually have beef from an animal that you've raised. And we raise all of our own. Everything comes from here. It's born right here. So we're expanding on that a little bit. This year, because of COVID, we have been like crazy. Like everything, all of our beef has been selling out. Like everybody else, you know, you can't keep anything in stock because everybody wants to fill their freezer right now. But for next year, our plan is uh, to have our production a little bit to be able to keep our demand you know, satisfied, deli- offer some different delivery options uh, for that, so that's one of our next projects. And then really just expanding on the things that we know we can do well. So we'll probably end up doing more acreage of strawberries, you know, maybe 
more volume of the things that, that work well for us and focusing in on those and tying in our handy dandy neighbors that farm that they're awesome at their thing and making their products available here too. So that's the plan. I think what you said about spreading yourself too thin with the amount of diversity that you had is such great advice for absolutely everybody, yeah. including myself listening to this, because I know it's it's really tempting to see and want to do all of the things. Like I would love to be a goat farming, flower farming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love to have my own bees, like all of these things. But is it really viable for me to do that? Absolutely not. And yeah, exactly. Like like you said, do what you're good at, expand on that. And once you're really good and solid at that, then maybe you can look at doing other things. But if you have yeah. neighbors and people in your community that are also really good at what they do, like you said, why not partner up with them and be right. like a collaborative super team and have this one awesome farm stand where it is like a one-stop shop. Yep. That's what we're finding is key. And someone told me, I, I had the same thing when we started, like I wanted to do all the things. Like I wanted to offer, you know, all the products that you would ever want to find in a farm stand plus like creative things and, you know, like crafty things. And I just, I love creating stuff. So like I wanted to do all the things on our own or, you know, myself. And I tried to do that and it got us started a little bit. Like it, it gave us a variety of things to be able to offer, but it wasn't like you can't sell that. And so something that stuck with me that I heard somewhere was you don't have to make your hobbies your business. So like not everything that you enjoy doing for yourself, like, if you like canning food for yourself or you like making wreaths to decorate your house or whatever, you can still do that, but you don't have to do it as part of your business. Right. <laughs> so that's, I've been trying to, to take those words and, uh, and be able to do that and just save that type of stuff for my own enjoyment and not feel like I have to produce every world for our customers. So I think that's been important. And Right. Well, and I think when you start doing it for a profit or putting that extra pressure on yourself, I don't know if it's that fun anymore afterwards. Like if you're right. doing it to relax and escape and now it's like another job for you, it's like we have enough jobs to do. Like <laughs> That is one thing yeah. that I don't need is another job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Dahlia, this has been amazing talking to you. I'm coming to your farm once this border opens because I just need (laughs) to come and see this. I want to see all of the Oreo cookie cows and I want to come see the farm stand and do all of the things. It just sounds amazing. Yes. Well, (laughs) you definitely should. And you should plan to come in the summer when we're not under a bunch of snow. That's the best time. (laughs) We have enough snow here. I don't need to come see yours. I'm sure it looks very similar. (laughs) My last question for you is what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a farmer? Great question. I, there's so many things. I don't, I don't know. You didn't prepare me for this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, farming is like, that's 
we're so used to it and it's such a like normal everyday life thing for us that it doesn't really seem like anything out of the ordinary or like super great or whatever. But in the grand scheme of the world, like there are fewer and fewer people every day that understand where food and what everything else in the world actually comes from. And like a it sounds so cliche to say that because people say it all the time, but it's really, really true. And it's scary once you start to hear from people who don't have even a basic understanding of where things come from and how they're grown and how much work goes into it and how complex agriculture is as a whole. It's, it's hard to get people to understand that and being able to be a part of such a small piece of the world that makes the rest of the world go around is really cool when you think about it. And just being able to talk to people about like, you know, the real things like we get up every morning and like our cows take precedence over ourselves and like making hay, you know, on a weekend take precedence over going to a party or whatever. Those are real sacrifices we make in order to produce a real product that helps people live their life. And like, that's really cool to me, even though it, it seems like, you know, whatever, but it's just a feeling like you, you're proud to be a part of something that's like really pretty unique and, and being able to, to offer your own like hard grown products to, to other people and your neighbors and strangers and it's all just really fun so that wasn't a super clear answer hey Sorry. i didn't prepare you but you did a great job <laughs> <laughs> well and like you said like for you you are born into this this is something that is in your blood and you i feel like are just meant to be a farmer and for others, it's kind of just like, this is neat. And like, we talked about it before, like, I, I'm looking at pictures of your beautiful farm, and it looks like it could be on a Hallmark movie and all of the things. It's so romantic. Uh. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of hard work to make this happen yeah. and make it viable and make it a business, right? So yeah, definitely not romantic all the time. No, not sure. <laughs> not but. all of the time. So oh, well, it was yeah. so great talking to you. And it. it's all yes, worth it. Absolutely. It was so great talking to you. And I just love your story. And for the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Our website is chandlerpondfarm.com. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash chandlerpondfarm and instagram.com slash chandlerpondfarm. So any of those places, we try to keep up to date on the regular. That's great. And I will put those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. It was yes, it was so great. It's so good getting to know you and getting to chat with you and sharing your story. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Hey, everyone. You may have heard on last week's episode that I'm hosting a giveaway exclusively for the patrons of the Rural Woman podcast. From now until December 31st, 2020, join in the Patreon gang in supporting the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon, and you can be entered to win a Google Nest Mini. If 
that isn't exciting enough, I have some more Patreon news to share with you. I'm excited to announce some new content that is going to be released exclusively for the patrons of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon. If you are unfamiliar with how Patreon works, it's a membership-based platform that helps creators like me financially support their work. In my case, that is sharing the stories of women in agriculture. I have started recording exclusive mini podcasts that will be released to my patrons at the $10 or higher tiers. These mini-sodes will never have widespread release. They are exclusively for my Patreon members. So if you've been thinking about joining the patron gang, now is a great time. You'll get exclusive content, discounts, and be entered to win a Google Nest mini. For more information, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Thank you all again so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.